Greetings, gente puente! In today's program, Father Charles Dam shares his model for starting parish-based ministries for helping raise awareness about domestic violence, accompanying victims, and directing them to resources that can help. Si prefieres español, puedes leer un resumen del episodio en las notas del programa en paticc.com diagonal S7. El padre Charles Dam explica cómo empezar un ministerio en la parroquia sobre la violencia doméstica. I'm Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. Our team strives to serve ministries like yours from behind the scenes. We provide best practices and encouragement with this podcast and our Facebook group, as well as Spanish translation services from a team experienced in Catholic ministry. You can find all the resources mentioned in today's episode and a summary of the episode in English and Spanish in the show notes found at pattycc.com slash seven. If you want to be part of our online community, just look for Gente Puente on Facebook and join the group. As I said, today we're going to hear from Father Charles Dom. He is a Dominican priest who served as the pastor of St. Pius V a parish in a mostly Hispanic neighborhood in Chicago for 21 years. He is now the Archdiocesan Director of Domestic Violence Outreach. Now let's listen to my conversation with Father Chuck. Welcome, Father Charles. Thank you so much for being here on the Gente Puente podcast. I'm happy to be here. Delighted. Thank you. We're going to start off with a little prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings that you have given us, especially the blessing and the gift of serving in your church. We know that we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, uniting the body of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Chuck, it's such a pleasure to get to talk to you today. I'm excited to hear more about this project that you're going to share with us. But before that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little of your background, origins, your vocation, how you got connected to Hispanic ministry? Sure. Um, I, grew, I was born and grew up in Chicago and went to Catholic schools and decided to become a priest when I was in college and joined the seminary, joined the Dominicans. And my first assignment as a priest in, a, in 1965, long time ago, was hmm. Bolivia. So I learned Spanish, worked with uh, university students. And after five years working in Bolivia, I came back and did a doctoral program in political science, came to Chicago um, to do research for my dissertation and ended up uh, creating a peace and justice center together with some religious sisters where I worked for 12 years on peace and justice issues. A lot of it was human rights in Central America. And uh, then I became pastor of St. Pius V Parish, which was a predominantly Mexican immigrant parish in the inner city of Chicago. And that was in 1986. And I was delighted. 
uh, to be back working with Hispanics. Um, and in that parish, um, uh, I, I was able to develop a, a response to the community, a lot of community involvement. Um, we grew our parish staff from five people to 28 full-time people. Whoa. And that required finding a lot of funding outside the parish because it's a relatively poor parish. But we found a lot oh. of sources of funding to expand. And so we had a youth center, a counseling program, a soup kitchen, a food pantry, a secondhand store. And of course, we had uh, six masses on Sunday and uh, about 5,000 people coming to church every Sunday. So it was a very active uh, church. And I was pastor there for 21 years. Um, and then after that, uh, my successor asked me to stay on and help him. We were very good friends. And um, so I was his associate for another seven years. So I, I really was in the parish for 28 years. Oh, wow. Oh, so you're not associate pastor there anymore? No, I'm not the pastor. Oh, okay. um, so when I was a, a pastor, um, I hired a pastoral counselor around 1996. Mm-hmm. And she told me one day, you know, Father, almost all my clients um, are women, and most of them are victims of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, and I knew many of those women. Wow. And I had referred many of those women to her. She herself is a Mexican immigrant. And uh, so I asked her to teach me how to recognize this, because women came to me and they would talk about their difficulties in their marriages or how they were feeling depressed. So I passed them on to the counselor. Mm-hmm. And later the counselor told me, you know, she's a victim of domestic violence. And I said, how do I get to know that? You know, and mm-hmm. how do I respond to that? So she taught me how to do that. And then, of course, as I learned more about it, I began mentioning it, of course, and preaching about it in my homilies. And the more I talked about it, the more people came. Uh, So I was like a door to our counseling program. And it became evident that we needed um, more counselors because we had so many people coming. Wow. So we found some federal uh, money that helped us hire two more counselors. And it wasn't too long after that that the women asked us to do something for their children because they could see that their children were also traumatized by the abuse that the women, the mothers, were experiencing. Mm -hmm. So we hired a counselor for children, and then they wanted something for their husbands because they didn't want to lose their husbands. They wanted them to change. So we hired a male counselor to work with perpetrators, and it was men really who wanted to change, um, not just to give a letter that this person came uh, to take some classes so that he could go back to the court, Mm -hmm. but rather somebody that really wanted to make a difference in his own life. So so we had... We ended up with seven full-time counselors on our staff. Wow. Okay, let me pause there because I think everyone listening is going to say, uh, we want to know more about this money that you had. <laughs> How did you get it? 
What's this federal funding that was available at that time? And do you know if it's still available? Well, uh, yes. Uh, one of the, uh, the grants, the, the original grant that we got was co- called VOCA, V as in Victory, O-C-A. So that's Victims of Crime Act. Um, so that is funded largely through VAWA, which is about to be renewed, we hope, yeah. in the uh, U.S. Congress in the next month or two. It just got extended for a couple of months. That's uh, Violence Against Women's Act. And that's the principal federal uh, funding legislation. And so it funds VOCA, and VOCA comes to, came to us through the state. So most states have, I think, a way of applying to it. Right now in Illinois, it's through the Illinois Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Okay. So somebody wanted to find out how they could apply. And the application, by the way, is going to be out for new funding. If uh, You can apply every two years. will be coming out sometime in the spring. So now would be a good time to try to figure out how you can access that. And if you could contact your state domestic violence coalition or organization, they are going to know how to do that. Okay. Another question that comes to mind, did you decide to do this as a parish because you saw that this was a need and it was lacking in the community organizations in the area? And has that changed over the years? Are there more non-parish-based agencies that are helping with the counseling, or does it continue to be a big need that the parish has filled? Exactly. No, I I felt that there really was not adequate um, services. I still believe there's not adequate services for the Hispanic community. Um, Okay. But they have grown considerably. For example, Catholic Charities in the Chicago Archdiocese does have Hispanic counselors on domestic violence now. Okay. They did not in 1996. But St. Pius V continues to provide counseling also? Well, the um, unfortunately, the pastor did not want to continue the program. He felt it should be a separate non-for-profit organization and not part of the parish. You know, I happen to disagree with that because I think Hispanics like going to their parish Uh, Being part of a parish gave credibility to the counseling program, um, and it allowed us to actually uh, respond in a more pastoral way, which is, I think, one of the benefits and one of the reasons why we were so successful in attracting so many clients, because we could treat them holistically, not Mm -hmm. just with the domestic violence We did not push them toward divorce and legal action. Uh, We worked with them and their families holistically. It is still pretty faith-based. It's not officially connected with the church or the Catholic church, but everybody there is Catholic and and it's a pretty faith-based organization. And uh, so now the program, which is called Hope Family Services, is part of the Resurrection Project. Okay. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You know, at one point, you know, I would say, you know, around the year 2005, anyway, 2010, you know, our program was so active. We received, on average, a new victim of domestic violence, Hispanic speaking, uh, every day of the week. Wow. 
a, a new client. That's incredible. So we had tremendous uh, outreach, which was done basically by word of mouth, you know, mostly women talking to their friends. Okay. And um, getting the word out through the parish. Huh. Okay, so now you were telling me that you've developed a model that you have been able to present on a more archdiocesan level to different parishes. Can you tell us a little about that? I'll tell you a little bit about that, but one thing I want to say before that mm-hmm. is, you know, the reason why we developed this and why this was successful was because domestic violence is a huge problem in the Hispanic immigrant community. And most priests do not see it. Um, I did not see it. I mean, I had to be educated. And once I was educated, I saw it everywhere. And today I see it everywhere. So I know it's in the Hispanic community. And I would urge parishes to start talking about it, to connect their parishes to agencies that can help them. So. After I finished being pastor, I thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to try to uh, knock on the doors of other parishes to see if they wouldn't also do this, because I I learned that domestic violence is everywhere, no matter what your ethnicity or your poverty level, or it's everywhere. So Mm -hmm. uh, I started asking priests that I knew to let me in and preach at all the masses on a weekend, and then invite volunteers to form a ministry. So I started that, and um, I had to propose a model that was not going to be expensive and not going to cost money and was not going to be a drain on the pastor's time. Mm -hmm. It was going to basically be volunteers in the parish who were going to run the program. So what the ministry involves is basically raising awareness of the problem. You have to realize that the Catholic Church has hardly ever says anything about domestic violence. I've preached at, at all masses on a weekend in 133 parishes in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Wow. And when I ask in my homily, how many of you have ever heard a sermon about domestic violence? <laughs> on, a, on a weekend, maybe five people raise their hands. Yeah. I mean, no one practically has heard about this. And I almost always get applause at the end of my homily because people are so happy to hear about it. Hmm. On the other hand, I have to knock pretty hard on those doors to get the pastors to let me in because they don't think it's a problem in their community. So that's the reality we're dealing with. So I would urge your listeners to talk to their pastors, find out how they can have a homily about domestic violence, and then form a ministry. Mm -hmm. So this ministry is basically raising awareness, very simple things to raise awareness. And we go through, you know, putting cards in the women's bathroom, putting posters up, having something in the bulletin every week saying, if you have a problem in your relationship, here's where you can find help. Publishing articles in the bulletin at least once a month that are related to domestic violence. So 
And, you know, just raising awareness that the parish is against domestic violence and is ready to help anybody who needs help. Mm -hmm. And those resources that you connect people to in these other parishes that don't have counseling programs, are they already established community organizations or it's someone in the parish who volunteers to answer calls or how does that work? Yes, the Chicago land area, metropolitan Chicago, even, you know, all of Cook County, all of Lake County, all the way up to the Wisconsin border, there are many agencies working with victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I know that's not the case everywhere in the United States, um, but it is in major metropolitan areas anyway. And these agencies are delighted to have churches connect to them. Mm -hmm. um, they they want to be connected to the community. So if you say, let's say there's an agency that's the principal one. I mean, oh, there's one in Dallas. I went to Dallas recently. And um, I mean, they were just, they're just delighted to be connected to the churches. Mm -hmm. okay? uh, that, there's more work for them, but it's also in terms of their own funding, a feather in their cap to help them with funders because they are in expanding their outreach into the, you know, the neighborhoods and so forth. So one of the first steps that this volunteer group does besides, um, well, even before raising awareness would be to try to find local connections with agencies that they can direct people to. Yes. I, th I think that they, they, I think the first thing is really just to kind of raise awareness that in the parish that this is a problem and that we want to help. So okay. that's, and then have a speaker come in um, and orient the, the people who want to work on this about what kind of services are available and how to access them. And so that's one, you know, that's important to do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, um, you know, create a mission statement about what you're about, maybe create a brochure, just like your other ministries in the parish might, like St. Vincent de Paul might have, you know, a brochure or a little pamphlet about what, who they are. Well, you want to have something like that. So you're going to create visibility. And then, you know, throughout the year, you're going to have a couple of things. It might be a prayer service. It might be a speaker, uh, a panel, a movie. Uh, you're going to have to have, during the year, just three or four things that you want to do, not a lot, and very simple. And it's not that a lot of people are going to come to these things, but you want to get the word out that your parish is against domestic violence and is ready to help victims. That's, that's the message that you want to put out there. And you have a way of channeling them to services. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have a story of a parish where maybe the leadership or the pastor was not real enthused, but you they let you come in and over time they've seen the need really is there and have had a change of heart in that sense? Sure. I went to a very popular parish. It has a lot of young adults in it. It's downtown Chicago. And um, he wouldn't let me in. My, and I know him. He's a very progressive priest, very open has a lot of things going on in his parish, but he kept saying, I don't have that problem. You know, I have a lot of infidelity uh, in my parish, but I don't have any uh, domestic abuse. Yeah. Well, he didn't understand that infidelity is part of domestic abuse. Hmm. Um, but at any rate, 
he wouldn't let me in, and I kept pestering him probably for four years. You know, <laughs> I took him to breakfast. Oh, my. I am a very good friend of the president of his parish council who agreed with me, and he couldn't get him <laughs> to do it. So finally, the pastor allowed me to meet with his parish with his parish staff. So in the meeting, he introduces me, and he says, you know, Father Chuck has been after me to do this. In the, and he said, I just don't think it's a problem here. I met a priest 25 years, and I have never had a victim of domestic violence come to me. Okay. And I said, oh, yes, you have, but you just didn't recognize it, I said. Mm -hmm. So he says to his staff, so am I wrong? Is this a problem in our community and I don't see it? And he called on the pastoral minister who does the um, spirituality part of ministry, namely retreats, and he asked him, do you see this problem uh, much? And he said, all the time. Mm. Well, that was a turning point for this priest. So he, after that meeting, invited me to come and preach at all his masses. He had eight masses on Sunday. So I preached at all eight masses. After the, after the seventh mass, which he presided at, he said to me, do you always get applause for your sermons? <laughs> and, I, and I said, no, I only get applause when I preach about domestic violence. <laughs> That's incredible. Because people are so happy to hear about it. So he, he was converted. Wow. Could you share a story about changes that you've seen in the parish community after the program has been there for a while? Oh, there's several priests who um, have given, I'm one of them, I have. One of them I videotaped, and if you go to our website, you can watch and hear a pastor uh, talk about how he invited me in and how that group that I helped form has changed the face of his parish. Oh, nice. I'll definitely because link to they, that. They, yeah. they do so many different things, super active, you know, raising the questions. They got into sexual assault, that teenage dating. Um, so they're, they're talking about all these family issues, which are very much uh, in existence, but often hidden behind closed doors. Yeah. We will continue with my interview with Father Chuck in a moment, but I want to share with you a little more about my company, Patty's Catholic Corner. We are a team of experienced pastoral ministers who understand what it's like to wear so many hats and not have a team big enough to do all that you want to do in ministry. We want to help you focus on your ministry while we handle your Spanish translations. Since we have years of experience both in Catholic ministry and Catholic translations, you never have to worry about whether your translation is true to the message. We know church lingo and we have a heart for reaching Hispanic Catholics. To get a quote, head over to pattycc.com today. Now, let's continue with the conversation with Father Chuck.
So you've given us a lot of really concrete steps in how this group, a group of volunteers could start this kind of ministry. Could you tell us things that are common pitfalls or give some advice to people who might want to try this in a parish or at a diocesan level? Well, I think um, at the diocesan level, it is extremely difficult because of the resistance of the clergy, okay, and Mm. bishops. I mean, they they just don't know about it. But what one, one thing you have in your favor is that there's a beautiful pastoral letter written by the bishops of the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was written in 1992. It was reissued in 2002. And in this January of 2018, it was reissued again with very little changes, I might add. And this is a beautiful letter. And it explains domestic violence. It explains the position of the church. But the letter is a very well-kept secret. Mm -hmm. Most bishops and most clergy don't even know the letter exists, okay? People going, you know, young men going through the seminary, they're never told about this letter, okay? I know this because, you know, I've worked to get into seminaries, and I've found out that they they never learn about this. this. The letter is called, When I Call for Help. And you can find that, mm-hmm. or you can find it in Spanish, cuando pido ayuda. You know? mm-hmm. So you can find that either way, Spanish or English, you put that in your computer and it comes right up. In the first paragraph, the bishops say, we have to state as strongly and clearly as we can that violence against women inside or outside the home is never justified and it is a sin and often a crime. And then they conclude the letter by saying, we emphasize that no one is expected to stay in an abusive marriage. And those are words of liberation for many women and many men. People are shocked to know that that's the position of the Catholic Church. And in my homily, I say, we have to get the word out No one is expected to stay in an abusive marriage. Tell us more about that. So, yeah, I think the majority of people would maybe say that the church teaches you got to stay no matter what. Marriage is for life. So can you expound on that a little bit? Absolutely. And unfortunately, there are a lot of priests today who are still saying this, who are still saying that you have to stay because you made a solemn promise and, you know, before God and you can't get out of it. Well, that's not true, you know. That is not true. That you know, the the church recognizes that some marriages, when they are performed, lacked necessary conditions to be valid sacramental marriages. Mm-hmm. They might have been, for example, lacking freedom. You know, it was a shotgun wedding, or maybe it was lacking maturity. They were too young. Or maybe it was lacking sincerity that he said he would be faithful, and then very soon after marriage, he wasn't. Or that he would love and honor his wife all the days of his life, but then he doesn't. So those marriages are not valid sacramental marriages, and people should not stay in them, not only because of what the victim themselves suffer, but also because of the impact this has on children. And it's devastating. Children who grow up in homes where there is domestic violence are at much greater risk to be victims themselves or perpetrators when they grow up. Or 
a, a drop out of school or abuse drugs and alcohol and even attempt suicide. It's mm-hmm. very risky to grow up in that kind of a family. Thank you. Do you have a story that of a family in a situation like that where the the woman decided to separate physically because of the abuse to protect her and her children and then over time how yes. the program has helped? Yes, I want to encourage people to go to our website which is www.domesticviolenceoutreach.org. So there you'll find my homily You can watch it in Spanish or English. You'll find a homily from the Archbishop, the Cardinal Supich. You'll find the the, uh, statement of this priest I just mentioned, saying what a positive impact on him. You'll see that video. And then you'll see a video of Denise Murray, who is a survivor. And she tells her story about why she stayed and how she finally left after 17 years with two children. And she stayed for three reasons. One, she was not financially able to separate herself because she was the primary bread earner in the, in the family. He did almost nothing financially. Secondly, she thought that the children needed their father. And thirdly, so she didn't want to separate the children from the father. And then thirdly, it was a sacramental marriage, and she wanted to respect that. She thought she had to stay. So she went to a priest uh, after experiencing abuse for a number of years, and the priest told her, there's nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry, I can't help. Oh, wow. That was devastating for her. She says all this in this video. When she, she and a couple years later, went to another priest. And he said, oh, you shouldn't stay in this abusive marriage. You know, that's not the position of the church. So she was. She started the process of separating and getting counseling. And um, she came and heard me and, and my homily. And she was strengthened even more. And she finally concluded that, one, she was actually providing all the money for the family, so she could indeed survive without her husband. Secondly, she discovered, you know, not until her children were early young teens, that they were being abused by him as well. So it was not a good thing for her to stay in that marriage. And then thirdly, she found out that she probably didn't even have a sacramental marriage because he lacked the unnecessary intentions when they got married initially. So she separated herself and got a divorce, and now she's a very happy person. And she herself is out there giving testimonies right now. Wow. You shared in your program at St. Pius V that there were a lot of abusers that ended up coming and reforming their lives. Do you see common triggers as to what helps them get to that point? Yeah. There's not, there's not a lot of uh, good research about male perpetrators or female perpetrators because most of the attention to domestic violence has been on victims. But now that is changing, and that's a good thing because we have to be able to respond to perpetrators and figure out how we can help them 
change their lives and, and help young men and women not become perpetrators. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a major challenge. Um, but, I mean, perpetrators generally are people who have very low view of women. Uh, they don't respect them. They also are people who suffer from low self-esteem, and they think they're going to enhance their self-esteem by dominating their wives. Um, They're very arrogant, very self-possessed, very focused on themselves, not on others, Um, and blaming everybody else for every problem they have, you know, and especially blaming uh, their wife for any problem in the family or in the relationship. So um, they have to understand that they have to take responsibility for their abusive behavior. They have to stop saying it's her fault. They have to say, it's my fault. I did this. And what's important for pastoral ministers to know is that it's not a question of anger management. That's not the issue. He could be very angry with his wife, but he's probably not angry with too many other people, whether it's the rest of his family outside of the home, whether it's with his, his boss or his co-workers. You know, he controls his anger every place except with her. So that shows you that it's not an anger management problem. Um, he uses his anger as a way of exercising power and control. And that's the issue about domestic violence. It's not about conflict resolution, where two people are going to work out a, an agreement on how to deal with some difference. No, no. This is about power and control. Um, and then I think also um, pastoral ministers need to know that it's not about marriage counseling. Marriage counseling can actually be... Um, dangerous. You know, I can give you another story about a woman who called me, came to see me after I preached in her parish. And she said, you know, I've been married, you know, almost 20 years. And um, I, I, I've gone to a psychiatrist. I've, I've gone to marriage counseling. Nothing seems to work. And um, now he was not physically abusive. He was emotionally and, and verbally abusive. And I said, well, well what, does, what does the psychiatrist tell you? And she said, well, he doesn't tell me anything. He just gives me drugs. Oh. Well, that happens frequently. And most victims of domestic violence don't need drugs because they might be depressed, they might be anxious, but it's not at the level that they need drugs. It's not chemical imbalance. It's because of the situation that they're living through. Yeah, if they're in a pit you know, where they're starting to hear voices and there's no way they can sleep or, you know, they're even having suicidal thoughts, well, then they need they need medication, you know. But most of them are not that, are that extreme. Well, I said, well, what does the marriage counselor tell you? And she said, well, nothing, because I never say anything about the abuse in the sessions uh, with her. Yeah. And I said, well, wait a minute. You're going to marriage counseling because of the abuse, but then you don't mention the abuse. Help me understand why you don't mention it. Well, she said, if I do mention it, when I go home, it'll be much worse for me. So I never mention it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I said, do you see that 
she's not going to be able to help you if you never tell her what it is. And that is the reason why marriage counseling is not appropriate for victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Um, They really do need to see a counselor trained in domestic violence dynamics. And not all counselors are. People who go to counseling should ask, have you been trained in domestic violence? If you have not, you've got to look for somebody else. Okay. So you mentioned the importance of treating the person holistically, and you've described the volunteer team that can help raise awareness and funnel people to those kind of services. Uh, And then, of course, the importance of counseling. What are some of the other aspects that you reach people pastorally or spiritually? How have you met those needs in this holistic setting? One important thing is to invite them into uh, participation in the parish community. Okay, mm-hmm. you know a lot of victims are isolated by their uh, abusers. Um, they don't want them to be talking to their mothers, their sisters, or their girlfriends, or whatever. Yeah. So there's this isolation dynamic that takes place. Well, there's two, a couple of ways of uh, of addressing that. One is having a support group. So many of the agencies that exist. Uh, offering counseling also have support groups. Well, support groups are very good because in a support group, you encounter other victims, other survivors who can tell you how what their experience was and how they dealt with their problem, how they got out or how they're struggling to get out. And you learn a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But not only do you learn from them on how they've dealt with the problem, but you also develop a personal relationship with them. And, you know, you, you find friends. I, I found, you know, we've, we have support groups here in our parish and our program and uh, two support groups for women and a couple for children and, and, and one for perpetrators. So, and, you know, people find jobs, you know, through the, through the support group, they find housing, you know, because they've now got relationships that they never had before. So that's one thing. The second thing, is that the parish have, has activities and might have festivals, it might have uh, dances, you know, it might have different kinds of events. Mm-hmm. And we want the people to become involved in those things. And that, again, is socialization, which is very helpful for victims of domestic violence. Yeah, I can see that. Are there any spiritual resources that have been helpful or just in general getting more involved in parish life? Yeah, I think I, I think that's one where we're probably lacking. Um, we have given a few days of spiritual renewal for victims, but not enough. And I tried once to have a retreat at the diocesan level, hmm. uh, and it was run by some people who know about uh, domestic violence. But I have to say it wasn't terribly successful. I mean, we only had five survivors who came, and um, the team that gave it really didn't hang together. So one of the things on my agenda is to develop a retreat ministry where we can offer at least two retreats a year um, and publicize this, because there's no question that 
victims and survivors of abuse very much need the spiritual strengthening. And um, because many of them, you know, are doubting God's love for them. Why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. Why have I been so, you know, isolated and abused? And why has God not answered my prayers and so forth? So they have to, they have to really kind of dig deep inside to understand and re, reaffirm re, their faith that God didn't abandon them. Rather, they fell into a terrible situation and didn't know how to extricate themselves. Yeah. Well, thank you, Father Chuck. I think we could continue this conversation all day long, but I think we're going to have to wrap up. Before we do, could you give some words of encouragement to the people listening? They are ministers in the church at some level. Uh, Maybe some are new and they're not real sure how this is going to go, or they're hitting a wall, they're facing some kind of difficulty and just need some encouragement. Would you give them some words of encouragement? Well, yes, I think it's important to reach out to victims to hear them. One of the important things is to listen to their story and respond to them in a reassuring way. Words like, you don't deserve to be treated this way. It's not your fault. Um, You know, you shouldn't blame yourself, which many of them do. And I'm so sorry for what you're experiencing and I want to accompany you and help you to find some freedom. You giving those words of encouragement, you can connect to a lot of victims, and they may not leave, you know, right away. Don't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's going to take a. It's going to be a process, but your presence with them in that journey is very important. And I can tell you that once a victim does free him or herself from abuse, they are extremely thankful to everybody who helped them along the way. Mm -hmm. And that means they are thankful to their local parish. I mean, if you look at the ministers that we have, whether it be in Sunday Mass, communion ministers, lectors, people who work volunteers in the soup kitchen, the vast majority of them are survivors, and they are coming to give back to the community. So that's a very positive aspect to our ministry is to help these people free themselves and find a new life. Yeah, thank you. Could you close us in prayer? Sure. Thanks. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for being a God of life and a God of love. You want us to live in peace and in happiness. You have given us hearts capable of loving like you love. We want everybody to experience your love. So help us to reach out to people who are experiencing abuse, even in their own homes. Let's help us to show them the compassion compassion of Jesus, that they don't have to stay in that abuse. They can free themselves and enjoy your peace, your love, and happiness. And this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Chuck, for taking your time to be with us. I'm sure that everybody listening has learned a lot and are motivated to go out and spread the word. So thank you.
Okay, anybody wants to communicate with me, you know, my information is on the website and be happy to talk with you. All right, thanks. Father Chuck is so inspiring, isn't he? Here are some key takeaways. Number one, so few people know what the Catholic Church teaches about situations of domestic violence. As pastoral ministers, we have a duty to learn the teaching and not be afraid to talk about it in our ministry. There's a link to the U.S. Bishop's pastoral letter on domestic violence called When I Call for Help on today's show notes. Number two, most ministers do not realize what a big problem domestic violence is in their community until they learn the warning signs and start raising awareness. Three, a group of volunteers in a parish can raise awareness with simple activities spread throughout the year that can help get the message out that the Catholic Church is against domestic violence and we are willing to help victims. Number four, working with local community organizations can be a win for both the church and the organization. There are also national organizations. You can find a link in the show notes for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which has information, online chat, and a hotline in English and Spanish. Number five, involvement in parish life can provide much needed socialization for victims of domestic violence. I hope you also received a lot from this interview and that you will consider starting similar ministries in your parish or diocese. Don't forget to visit www.domesticviolenceoutreach.org to find out more about Father Chuck's ministry, and you can even make a donation. You can find the link and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at pattycc.com slash seven. Don't forget to join the Gente Puente Facebook group to be part of our growing family of Catholic leaders who share their experiences and encourage one another. Right now, we'd love for you to come over and share how you've celebrated Our Lady of Guadalupe or Posadas or Christmas in your Hispanic ministry. We'd all love to find out about new ideas and resources. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente or simply look for Gente Puente on Facebook. In the next episode, we will hear from Dina Beach. She is the Associate Director for Latino Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. She will be sharing about their program to form Hispanic catechists. The program uses a mix of live presentations with online learning in conjunction with the University of Dayton. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast Gente Puente on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. Gente Puente.